that story. Other people's perception of you ain't none of your business. I wonder if this is what normal people feel like. Well, like Eleanor Roosevelt said, well-behaved women rarely make history. And nothing says mental health um, cast live like saying, starting with, I drank a whole bottle of wine. everybody welcome back to the show welcome back to another week of bipolar girl i guess what co-starring rebecca mcdowell and Stephen mcdowell should I be really official are we co-stars i guess we're co-stars i mean apparently we're co-stars we're co-stars now yeah 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 we are we're co-stars we're co-hosts 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 yeah, we're probably not. We haven't reached star level. I don't know if we're stars. No, we're not stars. We might be special. We're stars. Special. We're, we're special, special, all right. <laughs> we <laughs> just, are special. Just not special. Uh, special stars. Well, um, welcome back to another week, and hope you went well. Uh, your week went well, and hope you enjoyed our last episode. Uh, and I do. Uh, you know what? I do want to give a shout out though. To, you wanted to do a couple different shout-outs. Well, I did. Well, I already posted the tribute while oh, I read okay. my poem. There you go. Um, and I'm to give a shout-out to a little business, the Jollof Rice Company, Amok Foods. We'll give them a little free airtime. They just donated 5,000 units to Congressional Black Caucus Foundation uh, Legislative Breakfast, I mean, um, conference. And it's such a sacrifice for a small company, but they're pretty good. Look up Easy and Taste of Jollof Rice if you guys want to support. You can find it on Amazon, and you can find it in Whole Foods uh, or your local market. It's pretty good. And actually, last week, Rebecca and I, what did we do? Oh, we had to put stickers on all of them. We put stickers on. And how many bottles of wine did we have? Three and a half? There were four split between four people. I've never seen so many. It was four bottles of wine. We went... It was like three and a half. Good grief. I just counted the half as four. But yeah, it was like three and a half bottles of wine between four people. And see, I knew when to quit. I knew when to quit. And like, like. And, and I drank his last glass. Yes, she did drink my last glass. Let's just say Sunday was like really eventful. And like, not really, but like to the point where it was like, mm, I shouldn't have had that last glass. Yeah, because then I came home and didn't sleep. <laughs> Which you would think that wine would knock you out, but. It didn't. It did not this time. Well, how was your week? What do you want to shout? Do you want to shout out anyone? Mm -mm, I don't have no shout outs. Mm -hmm. Um, all I am is here with the kids. Who am I going to shout out to? Well, a shout out to you for being like superstar mom of the again of the semester. She sat down as Sebastian, our oldest, um, started college. And he went to class, and his class is, like, super long. Guess who stayed there for, like, an hour and 45, like, two hours and 40 minutes? Like, just sat there waiting for him. I read a book. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Like, I told her, I said, I would have gone and got a drink or something. Like, I I, <laughs> I, just, I mean, like, coffee. It doesn't even have to be, like, adult beverage. Or like, coffee or something. Yeah. No. I brought, sorry, I'm texting your son. I brought a um a book with me. It's. It's super exciting. I'm reading Charles Darwin, um, which I think is exciting and fun. But 
most people think is dry and nerdy. No, I mean, I think a lot of people who are smart understand why you would read Darwin, especially in today's world and country climate. Like, I mean. Well, it's interesting (laughs) because I was talking with a friend and I was like, you know, I'm reading Charles Darwin. And they told me, they were like, I think, you know, I'm pretty, I just, I've always wanted to read him, but I figured that everybody knows who his, his theories and it's all been covered in classes before and blah, 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 blah. So like a long way of saying, I'm not going to read Charles Darwin. And I was like, yeah, but you got to read, you got to read the OG. Yeah. Yeah. We all know his theories and stuff, but there's a lot of stuff in that book that I didn't know that they don't cover. You have to almost, yeah. I mean, you know, and and when you read it, you have to take it with like a grain of salt, right? So, I mean, I do because I I just look at it as another theory, another idea, another concept. I mean, I mean, all science is is theories, but this one's been proven hand over fist. I know. It's good. It's good. It's good. Whatever. They just found a really old tooth. Weren't you telling me that they just found a whole, like, like, dinosaur intact? They also found the intact dinosaur with the skin still on it. Two million years? 1.8 million years. No, that was the tooth. That was the tooth? Yeah, the tooth totally resets our idea of how long we've been on this planet as human, as a humanoid. Well, I mean, just because we saw, was it a humanoid tooth? It or was what? a humanoid tooth. Gotcha. They're not calling it human because it could have been Neanderthal. It could have been any of the other... At this rate, it doesn't even matter. The no. Only, I mean, at this, it blows away our entire... You know, and I've always... We talk about this because, of course, Rebecca has... Um, like we, we debate about ancient aliens and not necessarily the, the, the true theory that we see on the History Channel. So, hang on. Let's talk about the ancient aliens because I realized something today. We only question... We only question the pyramids that the black people made in Egypt. I get it. No, it's, Mexico it's, has made Mexico has made pyramids. True. There's no question about whether or not the Mexicans were able to make the pyramid, but the black people they couldn't have done that. Yeah, you know, you know, you know, you're absolutely right because you know what's interesting about that is that boy, they, you know, ancient colonizers were absolutely quick to use black labor to build but But they couldn't build but they just couldn't build they weren't smart enough yeah trenches and you know canals and meanwhile they were they freaking built our country build you know we built it we built the country you know what can i say you know you know but yeah and uh and it's funny because when you go to yeah no one ever questions like you know ancient aztec and like you and i were talking i think we were talking to someone like you know individuals have been traveling the world far before far before uh ancient portuguese or spaniards but yet yeah like the vikings had come to america they just didn't stay well there was actually i mean there's there's history well there's history and artifacts to suggest that there were ancient africans or egyptians and who were who were uh visiting those mayan uh pyramids like during that time and the only way that could have possibly been done is if they had flying vehicles so um or you know or a boat oh is this our oh this is dr yes that's dr philip okay so why don't you just tell us your how was your week um my week was good it was just long with taking kids back and forth to places and making sure you know we're back into the swing of having homework so i have to make sure that the homeworks are done the homework the homework is done right um but other than that, it's it's been rather uneventful. 
I think which is always good. Uneventful is good considering the last what year, year. of what we've gone through. Um, you know, it's 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 certainly pleasant. It's nice to be uneventful. It's nice to be uneventful and boring. Yeah. Um, it looks like Let's one wait of, for Amy. Okay. Um, it looks like one of our guests is in the waiting room, Dr. Derek Phillips, uh, who's joining us today. But, you know, this is kind of the part of the segment where we, we kind of catch you up on our um, current events. Uh, uh, super cool. I, you know, actually, you know, if anyone's in the Washington, D.C. area and wants to come to um, DMV uh, to BlackRock, Center for the Arts. Next week, we're having Hazmat Modine, which is kind of like, I guess, you know, this bluegrass, modern, big band kind of, you know, group. Kind of fun. That should uh, be interesting. Yeah, yeah. It, it opens. Uh, uh, the show is next weekend, uh, the 24th. We've I've been inviting everyone and dignitaries and all kinds of stuff. So it's been pretty cool. That should be fun. How's, how is the Department of Education treating you? Yeah. So I have supposedly needed to go to training for a week now. So this started on Tuesday. The girl scheduled it for Wednesday. Then she rescheduled it for Thursday. Then she rescheduled it. So she's rescheduled it for Wednesday. On Wednesday, she rescheduled it for Thursday. On Thursday, she rescheduled it on Friday. And now today, she rescheduled it for Tuesday. Like, it's been an entire week that I'm supposed to be getting this training and it's so important to have, and yet we keep rescheduling it. So it's really annoying because you plan your day around your meetings, and then all of a sudden, in the you know, an hour before your meeting, your meeting's canceled. That's very true, and uh, I can't stand it when people are not respectful of other people's time. Right? You know. <laughs> And she just acts like I mean, we have nothing else better to do than run around after her trying to get this meeting done so but that's not near that's not nearly as bad and we didn't talk about this that's not nearly as bad as so i've been working from home um because i just can't get to the office at the time they need me there to do our first morning meeting and I, i just won't get there in time even if i take the earliest train um so i've been teleworking well they decided that i needed training and they um told me i needed to come in for it so i got up at five o'clock in the morning went to the train station and i decided to take the metro instead of the mark train which is good that i did this but i took the metro and halfway to work i get an email talking about we're going to cancel the training no need to come in i'm like i'm an hour away from home like it's not that easy and everybody else lives within like 15 minutes of work so like they don't care it's like this is a big portion of my day that i have to set out to commute and you guys just i don't know it's whatever but no it's it's very true you have to be respectful of people's time and then you know the stress and life changing uh sometimes uh life changing like sort of what you have to do to change your life in order for things to fall into place to get stuff that's un- yes. unplanned happen. Yeah. I guess is the best way to put it. Well, do you know what? At least we're here this week. And this is the first time our co-host, Dr. Amy D, is is back with us. Amy, are you there? I am. I'm right here. Hey, how are you? Good. How's it going? 
it's uh, very very well and uh, like i can't believe we're hearing your voice how how have you been catch everyone up on what life has been like for you um uh, fun going very well um i've got a new book coming out in february Woohoo! that's right we've yes. been we have I've been, been excited about that one yes yeah. indeed. we've been waiting for that Here, i'm gonna do some cheesy cheering <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. So, are you? Uh, I hope that we'll get you back and to uh, promote your book. Yeah. Would you want to set it up and kind of tell everyone what it's about? Yeah. So uh, the new book is about relationship OCD, which is a kind of a subtype of OCD, where the obsessions and compulsions focus on your relationships. Mm -hmm. um, so, for example, um, it might involve a lot of, say, fixing every teeny tiny little detail about your partner or having obsessions that they might be cheating on you. They might have an STD um, and there might be compulsions to, you know, count to take pregnancy tests or STD tests or check their messages, things like that. Anything right. where, you know, you feel a threat to the relationship and you get obsessed with that honestly, usually pretty imaginary threat. And then the, you have the compulsions to try and protect the relationship. Wow. That's so is this a, another one of your books where it's like helpful tips? It's kind of like a guide and a workbook. Uh -huh. Yeah. Yeah. How did your first book go? The one that you love, like included us in? Uh, really well. In fact, I just got news that it's coming out on audio probably earlier. That is super exciting. Yeah. Uh oh, I think we lost our guest for tonight. I hope he comes back. <laughs> I, I hope so him. too. Yeah, I'm sure he will. Maybe he hey. just had to go deal with something. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, no, that's that's very. There he is. There he is. Yeah. Let's see, let's, let's, see. Play music. let's let's get him. Uh, let's get him on. No, that's very good. Well, all right. Well, let's um, uh, let's get ready. Everyone out there, we have kind of a new interview of the week music. It's kind of subtle background. We're not going to make a big stink about it in transition, <laughs> but it's kind of just like music that we're going to play in the background. Steven just found a song and really liked it and wanted it in the show. That's true. <laughs> Amy D, do you want to, in, uh, how are you, Dr. Uh, Derek Phillips? Welcome to the show. Derek, you there? Sophie's connected. Mm. Yeah, he's here. Yeah. That's okay. He could be having technical difficulties. Yes, yeah. he just logged back out. He's having technical difficulties. Yeah. Well, this week's show is going to be fun because we are, um, our topic today is better help, like the better help apps and the, the counseling apps that are all over the place. Um, I know that in some places of the country, they are the only option or they are mm -hmm. the cheapest or they are the you know closest, that kind of thing. But there are also a lot of problems with them. And so mm -hmm. we have Amy here and we're going to have Dr. Derek here and we are going to discuss that and how that is, you know, kind of an issue right now that everybody's facing. Mm -hmm. Dr. Dr. Phillips, did, have you uh, are you on? Interesting. I'm gonna log on there to. Um, oh, th there he is. I think he just he had to he had to bounce back on. Mm -hmm. There he is. Doctor Phillips, are you there? Mm -hmm. 
I'm just gonna check my email real quick to see if there's anything there from him. Well, well, I know that we have several people within our groups um, that we're attached to, and even on Twitter, we've had several people tell us about how um, better health, in particular, better health, just hasn't worked for them. They've had, I talked to one person who he filled out the application and said everything that he needed to say. And they told him that they could not help him, that he was too far gone for them. So that was kind of an issue for him because again, best option in his area. Um, We've had other people who they were charged and they weren't supposed to be charged. We've had other people who signed up. Um, they signed up for better health and they thought, I guess you can pick the counselor that you want to go with. Like they Mm -hmm. have, I'm not sure how it works, but they have like bios and stuff and you can pick them and they picked who they wanted and then they got somebody else. So Mm -hmm. lots of different issues. Wow. With the, with the the advent of, of technology and telehealth and, and, uh, and just technology platforms in general, that it would have made things easier, better, and more efficient and safer. But it doesn't sound like that's the case. Well, I think at the end of the day, they're all just a company. They're all just trying to make a bottom line. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And one of the things that uh, Derek is uh, going to talk about when he is able to join us is that, you know, a couple of these um, kind of online therapy spaces um, and the ones that kind of act as directories for therapists will advertise using the names of licensed psychologists. So it looks like they might be drawing the names from the list of licensed psychologists in a particular state. Um, and then when somebody clicks through to get to us, that we don't actually work for them, we have no connection with them at all. And then when somebody clicks on our name to try to get to us, they can't obviously, cause we're not there, mm-hmm. um, but they'll be redirected to one of the therapists that do work for them. So. Um, That's kind of like false advertising almost. Like you think you're going to get one thing and you're getting something else. Mm Mm-hmm. Is, I mean, is that, I mean, is that. Is that legal? Is that legal? (laughs) Yeah. I just want to say that. Is that legal? Um, Derek will be better able to talk about than me, but that than me, but um, my impression is that it's not uh, partially because, you know, if somebody's really is looking for Derek to be their psychologist or me to be their psychologist or anybody that's kind of fraud because that's kind of like antitrust in a sort of a way, Um, not exactly potentially takes away from our income using our name. Um, Some of us are also concerned, yeah, because there have been so many problems with um, different online therapies and then that's kind of our reputation. Great. Can you I think hear Dr. Me now? Derek is with it. Can you hear yeah, yes, there you yeah. are. Welcome. <laughs> hey Derek. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Sorry for the connection problems. I think I'm good now. <laughs> no, no that, worries. That's okay. Um do you would you like to just introduce yourself, Dr. Amy? Uh, uh Amy, would you like to sort of uh read Dr. Uh, Phillips in? Sure. So um This is Dr. Derek Phillips, current president of the Illinois Psychological Association. He's also very involved in the American Psychological Association. Uh, Former classmate of mine at Adler University. Mm -hmm. Uh, Very cool, very funny. 
and <laughs> knows a, a lot about this particular issue because it's been a big subject of discussion in the different professional associations. Wow, we feel so honored to have you on the show, Dr. Oh. Phillips. And one yeah. other important thing, he is one of the United States' first prescribing psychologists. It's pretty oh, innovative. No kidding. How did you get up? Uh, hold on. That's a scope of practice battle at the, uh, the Medical Society at it AMA. Is. Well, I used, to, I used to advocate for physicians. Um, I was on the other mm -hmm. side of that issue. But still, mm -hmm. how did you <laughs> get that done? <laughs> well, it, um, it was a long process uh, for sure. So, you know, um, along with Amy, I'm here in Illinois. And Illinois is one of only five states that has been able to get that issue across the finish line, uh, you know, legislatively. So um, we passed our law back in 2014. And, you know, essentially what it came down to was, um, you know, to get the psychiatrists and the other physicians that were, um, you know, opposing the bill, of course, you know, to get them kind of on our side, we made some concessions, some compromises in terms of restrictions um, for, you know, what I can do as a prescribing psychologist and some concessions with how much training I had to get. So, you know, Illinois out of the five states, it has the most training requirements and it has the most restrictions for us once we're licensed. So... Do you yeah, have so to operate? Do you have to operate like with like like nurse practitioners have to operate under sort of the umbrella of a uh, of a licensed physician, or are you pretty much independent? Well, so we, um, so it's it's interesting because you know I know that and it's always it always depends on the state. And here in Illinois, nurse practitioners have a lot of freedom. Um, they actually can get full practice authority after they've been practicing for a certain amount of time, which is actually not a long time. So they, they're pretty free. Um, we do have to have it what we call a collaborating physician um, once we're licensed. And the reason we say collaborating is because, you know, we we do have to meet with the physician at least once a month, but they're not, but it's we don't have to have their permission per se to mm -hmm. you know to write prescriptions or to order imaging or lab work. Um, it's really just kind of a it's a, a, a quote unquote supervision after the fact where we're mm -hmm. talking about our cases with them afterwards. So it is, it is more collaborative as the, the name implies, um, rather than a, can I do this type of thing? Um, so, so really here in Illinois, nurse practitioners have a lot more, um, their, their scope is actually bigger than right. ours is. Well, yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And, you know, as, as Amy said, there's only about 220 of us in the country and there's only 13 of us in Illinois. So it's just, you know, it's, it's just something that I hear a lot of, we don't know what to do with you because right. there's so few of us. <laughs> um, there's, right. there's just not a lot of precedent, you know, any, any way you, you look at it. So, um, but you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a good gig. I love doing it. I've been prescribing, um, since January, I, I got mm -hmm. licensed in November of last year, um, mm -hmm. and then I've been prescribing since January. 
I have one more question and then I'll let Amy go ahead and yeah. drive the conversation. Yeah. Um, Cause we're just so happy. We love, we love her and thank you so much again. But I do have a question about in, 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 in terms of malpractice insurance, mm, Is yeah. are, are you required to get a, a, I guess a more expensive policy? Is it more expensive for you than the average say, you know um, you know, uh, internal medicine or mm. family practicing physician. Um, and then also um, do you have the trial lawyers now kind of targeting <laughs> you guys? Uh, in your state for those, what is it, un, um, um, those un, uh, those d the damages, the non-economic damages? Uh-huh. So, you know, a, a non-prescribing psychologist malpractice insurance is very cheap. Mm -hmm. um, and so the, the difference now that I can prescribe is there is a difference? Um, I can tell you that for for me in particular, it it was about a fifteen percent increase, but fifteen percent of what the normal premium is is still not sure. very much. That's pretty and good. and it is it is exponentially less than any physician's malpractice. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the other really important thing is that, you know, there, there's really one main malpractice company that prescribing psychologists use. And, you know, they've been insuring prescribing psychologists for over 15 years. And uh, in 15 years, they've only had two malpractice claims that have actually gotten to the point where they had to pay indemnity payments to the, um, to the claimant, too. Sure in 15 years. Whereas, wow. whereas for psychiatrists, about two to 3% of all psychiatrists every year are going to have a malpractice claim. So it's, you know, for, I mean, first, there's just a lot fewer of us. Um, but also, um, we just psychologists in general, just don't really get a lot of malpractice claims. And, um, you know, when, when they do, it's, you know, it's generally related to boundary issues, which is the case for a lot of people in helping professions. But mm -hmm. um, it's really the, the malpractice piece has not been an issue. And we have not seen, as you, you know, asked about the, the lawyers kind of targeting us. We haven't seen that. Hmm. And it's interesting. I'm sorry, Amy. One more. One more question. You, you bring it, this is so good. No, because the, the it's next, really interesting. I don't think a lot of people know about this. Yeah. Well, the well, the you know, and to that end, the next my next thought then would be what is kind of innovative and sort of. I don't know if a revolutionary is a strong word, but what is very innovative about this the um, is, is the care, the delivery of care. Mm -hmm. You have a more intimate relationship, in my mind, with a patient than the psychiatrist does. Because, uh, you know, there's always this barrier yeah. between patient and physician. It also helps that you're not having to go to two different people, right? Absolutely. And then hoping yes. that they will talk to each other and they will communicate because mm -hmm. they don't always communicate with each other. No, they don't. Like mine doesn't communicate. They don't communicate. Right. Um, yep. So like yeah. I'm left playing the middleman between two doctors and it's just, yeah, mm -hmm. I'm sure that takes away a lot of the stress. Right. And, and, and in terms of the care team, Dr. Phillips, do you find that this delivery of care is a more efficient way to, you know, to work with a patient? Yeah. You know, I, I won't, I won't say that I'm not biased here with, right. with this question, <laughs> exactly. but, exactly. but, but my answer is, is, is a very wholehearted yes. Um, 
you know, all the things that both of you just said, I just, you know, want to scream from the mountaintops. You know, yes, it's fewer doctors, it's fewer appointments. It is, it is also the case that, you know, most prescribing psychologists, even though there are still, you know, relatively few of us, we have other tools in our toolbox of treatment besides right. medicine. So, you know, if you go to see a psychiatrist, it is going to be rare that you leave that appointment without a prescription. Sure. Um, because if you are a carpenter and are, all you have is a hammer, you're going to use a hammer. Absolutely. Um, whereas, you know, I, you know, really one of the basic principles of creating a prescribing psychologist is exactly what you were saying is that we can be sort of a one-stop shop for mental health. You know, I can do therapy, I can do psychological testing, which only psychologists do, and mm -hmm. now I can do the medication. So, uh, you know, it, it is fewer appointments, it is less need for, you know, keeping track of things among multiple providers. Um, and it also is less cost for the patient because they don't have to go to multiple people. And I, I mean, this is my own decision, although anecdotally, I think a lot of we prescribing psychologists do the same, is that I never see a patient for less than 30 minutes. So, wow. you know, having, having a five minute med check where, right. you know, I ask two questions is not how I operate. And as I said, you know, anecdotally with my colleagues, it's not how really any of us operate. And that's, I think, one of the biggest complaints of seeing a psychiatrist is that, you know, you're, you're, it's a quick turnaround. Like my yes. appointment's supposed to be 30 minutes. It never is 30 minutes. I mean, when it is 30 minutes was when I was in crisis. But even mm -hmm. then, like, it was like 20 minutes or 25 minutes. Like, you didn't get the whole 30 minutes. Yeah. And I'm always, I'm always struggling to finish the appointment in 30 minutes <laughs> uh, because I'm so used to, you know, you know, I, I'm a neuropsychologist by training. And so most of my practice still is doing neuropsychological testing. And those are very long appointments. And so I'm I'm already used to long appointments. And so, you know, kind of shifting to this paradigm where a new patient is 60 minutes and then usually the follow-ups are 30, even that has been, you know, kind of a, a transition because, um, you know, I'm just, just kind of calibrated already to, you know, be seeing people and talking to them for longer amounts of time. Wow. I, and I know we're going down. So Amy, do you no, want to go ahead and guide the it's conversation? It's not really a rabbit hole because we're talking about <laughs> these providers, these online providers. That's and, true. And, you know, so like we're seeing the side of it's like when you're in person and when you come and when you have mm -hmm. a doctor who can prescribe and all of that versus these apps and these companies. Mm -hmm. Right. And I did hear, um, I, I, I was able to hear a little bit of what, you know, you were asking Amy before I was um, able to get through. And, you know, the the idea behind BetterHelp and similar companies is a good one. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I like I like the idea of, you know, making these making therapists more accessible. Um, un unfortunately, though, I think there have been I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say unintended consequences mm -hmm. um, that 
you know, in addition to the legality of some of the things Amy was mentioning, is that these companies, what we've seen in real life is that they have kind of preyed upon new graduates and newly licensed therapists who are desperate for a job and are willing to accept, uh, you know, very low pay. Wow. Um, and that is how, but, you know, again, you know, they're, they're fresh in the job market. You know, maybe they haven't done the research. Maybe they have, and they just feel like, you know, I rather just would just grab onto this job and have some certainty than pass it up. And the, the company knows that. And so they do tend to really go after um, these new, very new clinicians that maybe don't know what they're worth. And that's how they're able to be very profitable because the amount that they're charging, um, you know, besides the fact that they're not really taking insurance, um, is that, you know, so, you know, someone like me who does take insurance um, and knows what I'm worth, I, I would not be able to, like, I wouldn't be able to compete with those prices. And it's it's interesting because anyone who is open to dealing with a payer, as frustrating as it is for them to reimburse, is mm -hmm. a saint in my book. And like, yeah. most, and it's kind of the cop out to go concierge, as far as I'm concerned. But also, I understand it in the practice. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. And that's the other. That's the other thing that we've seen. We've seen it across the board. But since we're talking about mental health and psychiatry, is that there are so few psychiatrists that that take Medicare or Medicaid. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that has also been a problem with psychologists, although we we are a little bit more likely to take those payers. And, you know, where I am, I work in a public hospital, so we take all payers, mm -hmm. um, which I love and right. would, wouldn't want it to be any different. Um, but, you know, there there are a lot of headaches because of because of those things. So I certainly see why other, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists, and other providers do, you know, decide to stop taking third parties. Right. And, and I'll say one more thing about that. And it was been, it was my experience that those who were using CMS had, they, mm -hmm. those were better payers than any mm -hmm. of the others, either the private payers. They were, I mean, people loved working with them, especially for uh, the geriatric care. Yep. Yeah. And that's kind of, you know, I, I, I mentioned before that, you know, I have restrictions on me as a prescribing psychologist here. And one of them is an age restriction. I can't prescribe to patients under 17 or over 65. Oh, interesting. Oh, no kidding. Wow. So, so it really limits me from truly helping a lot of the people that are, you know, what I would consider the most vulnerable in our mm -hmm. in our you know population so sure. that that's something that we are actively trying to change um actually here in illinois we have a bill in our legislature that if passed would remove <laughs> those age restrictions completely wow yes I, I, and I'm sitting here trying to think of the pathology between behind like wanting a restriction on either end. Like, what's what's the big deal? I mean, uh, if you're already doing it and you're already delivering uh, and mm -hmm. you're already re researching and and training, then you might as well go ahead and just have the patient from you know I don't want to say birth, but at least hormones to yeah. to uh, to you know to their silver age. Well, I think. 
I, I've learned this in my in my years of doing advocacy and legislative work is that where you know if you sit there and try to think of this logically and rationally, that's where you're going to come up short because right. these decisions <laughs> were not based on logic or rationality; they were based on turf. Right. So this mm-hmm. is a turf issue, and you know the psychiatrists they they put a lot of restrictions on us and the reason is because they still want to be needed mm-hmm. you know if if we can't do it then someone has to go to them um you know for for the age extremes for those um schedule two controlled substances like adderall and ritalin we can't prescribe um you know we can't prescribe injections of, a con- of controlled substances. So they, they made these very specific pieces that they seem innocuous at first, but what they really come down to is that they restrict us from working in inpatient settings. Even though we don't have that, um, the language that says we can't, mm-hmm. the restrictions they put on us really make it impossible for us to do that. Well, you know, offense, Ridlin is like a 90-year-old drag queen. Who wants to see it anyway? Uh, <laughs> Amy, go ahead and take it over. Amy, go I don't on. think I can top that. That's just not a fair place to leave me. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's I'm true. Sorry. I'm sorry. Okay. Go so, ahead, Amy. I'm sorry. Um, so, Derek, I was talking a little bit about some of the things that came up um, in the IPA about mm-hmm. maybe using our names as kind of maybe a form of false advertising, yeah, making it look like we look for work for one of these online organizations when we don't. Can you talk a little bit about like the legal and ethical issues around that for psychologists? Yeah, it's I mean, it's 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 a huge issue. And I, I can tell you that, you know, not only was the Illinois Psych Association, you know, just kind of flabbergasted and up in arms about this, but this really pretty quickly got into the ears of the folks at the American Psychological Association, which is headquartered right there in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, you know, being the, our national organization, they just have a lot more resources. They have a lot more staff that can be dedicated, lots of attorneys um, uh, also on staff. And so pretty quickly, they kind of got into this. And, um, you know, I, I was able to attend APA's annual convention last month in Minneapolis and um, got an update from APA's chief of professional practice who said that pretty quickly APA's attorneys put together a cease and desist letter, uh, which they delivered to, um, if you ever heard of CareDash, mm-hmm. um, you know, when Amy was talking about, um, you know, how BetterHelp was getting these patients funneled, it was through CareDash. Um, and so they sent this cease and desist to CareDash you know, basically saying, you know, you're you're using these psychologists' names and how they were getting our information is they were using our NPI number, which is public. Um, oh. So they were looking at the registry with our NPI numbers and using those to actually have a directory of us and did make it like that we make it seem like we worked for better help. And so, as Amy was saying earlier, you know, if they saw my name and they clicked on me, it would actually funnel them to better help and to actually be able to use one of their therapists. So it was a bait and switch. 
literally. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the good news is that Kardash responded very quickly <laughs> to the cease and desist and um, they, they did take down a lot of um, profiles of psychologists that were on there. Um, I can also just tell you that that, that isn't the end of the story. Um, there, there, I, I know there were going to be, there was going to be further communication and probably meetings between APA's attorneys and between Kardash and, um, even possibly better help where, you know, they, in their cease and desist, they even, um, said that if they needed to, that they would go to the Senate oversight committees that, that deal with these sorts of, um, representation issues. So, you know, they, they definitely weren't pulling any punches here because this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. So any ideas where this is going to go, how this is going to be resolved? Cause I know one of the big conflicts that a lot of our listeners might be having if, if they're using these services, like, okay, yeah, I get that there are some serious ethical problems with the way they're using mm-hmm. that information, but you know, what would you like to say to somebody for whom maybe BetterHelp or a similar service is kind of the only game in town mm-hmm. that they can afford or the only therapy access they've got at the moment? Right. And and I have had some some patients that I've seen here at my practice that have said that they've used those services before. And I, you know, I, I think it's always on a case by case basis, mm-hmm. but I, but I think that in general, if there isn't another option, whether it be just pure accessibility or if it is, you know, financial, um, if it's related to financial means, then I, I think again, in general, it is better than not being able to see anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we know that just as is the case with a primary care doctor or a hairstylist, not, you know, one size doesn't fit all. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I do encourage my patients to not get discouraged if they do, you know, meet with a counselor, whether it's on better help or not, to just give up. Um, because sometimes it takes, you know, looking for a while and finding someone that you really trust and click with that you think could actually be helpful for you. So I think that, you know, better help should definitely be one of the options. Um, you know, I just, I just worry about, I mean, obviously, yes, the legal and ethical issues. And I also, like I mentioned before, I worry about the therapists that are working in there and, you know, burnout, especially Mm -hmm. because they're, you know, how many patients they're going to have to see to, you know, make a living essentially. So I'm worried about that too. And I think that also of course leads to overall poor care for patients if the therapist is very burnt out. So there's just a lot of things to think about and it can be kind of a, a snowball effect. I agree with you that it takes a while before you find somebody that you click with. I mean, what I went through like seven therapists before mm-hmm. I found the one that I got that like worked for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of the, you know, and unfortunately a lot of times it's the, it can be like that with medication too, mm-hmm. you know, because even though we have, you know, some of those genetic tests at this point, um, 
that can help with that. In my opinion, those aren't really ready for prime time. Um, mm -hmm. I know a lot of um, psychiatrists that use them. I don't think they're super helpful where they are right now. I think that with a little bit more uh, sophistication in the science behind them, I think they could be really helpful on, you know, kind of tailoring what we call precision medicine, where we're able to say, okay, your, your genetic makeup is this, and so these medications are really going to be the best options for you because of how you metabolize them. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I think until we get there, um, they're not always super helpful or they're, they're definitely not kind of a, um, they're not a, a like a, a cure essentially where, oh, you do this test and then we're automatically going to know which drugs are going to help you. We still have a lot of patients who take medications that are supposed to work well with their metabolism and then they still don't. So we still have a ways to go there. Mm -hmm. Would it be okay if I took a quick swerve um, to something else real quick and then get back to the sure. better health? Um, yeah. So when I was taking psychopharmacology at Adler, mm -hmm. um, the teacher mentioned that there are actually charts because people of different racial groups tend to metabolize medicines mm -hmm. a little bit differently and that there are kind of charts and formulas to help sort that out and make sure somebody gets the right dose. Is that accurate? Um, is that something a lot of people are using? Yeah, I mean, there, you know, just in general, there are kind of these practice guidelines that we have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, there are also some more kind of formal algorithms that mm -hmm. you can use. Um, you know, there, there are some specific um, considerations that need to be made with different ethnicities just because of the likelihood of having, you know, um, g some genetic mutations, you know, like, just like how, you know, alcohol can make certain people become very flushed in the face. Usually that's because they're not breaking down the alcohol in, in a, in a good way, how mm -hmm. it needs to be. And so in the, in the same way, there are some medications that, will that are more likely to cause particular side effects um in certain people so that is something that you know we do need to be aware of when we're prescribing and there are guidelines and some algorithms that help with that uh, similarly there are different criteria that are specific for older adults they're called the beers criteria and essentially um, it, it's, it's wanting us to take special care when we're prescribing particular drugs to, you know, the el elderly population because we want to avoid, you know, um, increasing the, the risk of falling, the increasing the risk of sedation, increasing the risk of impairing their cognitive abilities. Um, so, you know, there, there are a lot of things that we need to take into consideration. And there are countless, you know, guidelines from the other APA, from, um, you know, psychiatric organizations that are, you know, that are not U.S.-based. The British Psychological Society has some, the Australian Psychological Society has some, and then, you know, as well as here based in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. that was, I was just curious about that because I hadn't heard a lot about it from any of the psychiatrists I work with, but so there are specific criteria for that. And like you said, general guidelines. 
things. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So to get back to the issues around BetterHelp and the other online therapy services, um, I've been doing some reading and there's also a lot of issues with confidentiality. Uh, the mm-hmm. first article on this that I saw is was on uh, Jezebel, so pop culture website. Mm-hmm. But um, reading from that, um, BetterHelp information was being shared with Facebook, including metadata of messages between patients and therapists. Metadata, I think, means you know not the exact words, but some of the identifying. Mm-hmm numbers and algorithms of that message, um, if I'm correct. More aggregate, yeah. Yeah, Um, exactly, aggregate data. Uh, Facebook could also see the duration, approximate location, and amount of time people spent on BetterHelp, according to the article. Mm -hmm. And then um, NPR and a couple of other places have kind of followed up on that more recently to note that um, there's still some concerns. And so, you know, that would be an important thing to know. What are your thoughts on that? Do you happen to know if the IPA or the APA is working on that at all? Um, you know, whether whether or not APA is working on that, I, I really don't know. Mm-hmm. I, I think this is one of those things that, you know, we as a society and also, you know, the government, the regulatory bodies are just not prepared for. Mm-hmm. You know, this this is something that I I think would want to be one of those things that would be hard to foresee um, when you're um, when you're creating laws and uh, regulations related to confidentiality and mm-hmm. privacy. But obviously, this would be a huge issue. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it. I I you know I I guess you know you you could make the argument that the the folks that are more likely to use BetterHelp are probably more likely to be younger, you know, mm-hmm. probably millennials, Gen Z, you know, maybe they maybe they don't care that that those data are being shared. Maybe they do. Um, regardless, I think that um, it's it's a very slippery slope when we have, you know, any type of social media giant like Facebook, being able to access those data because we've seen how that has, you know, impacted our political environment, having them having, you know, the data, basically being able to tell by the metadata who we are more likely to vote for. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, and then kind of manipulating people <laughs> into, right. into, you know, particular thinking, ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that, there are a lot of things that that could potentially um, be affecting in the future that could definitely be negative. Um, Again, though, I I don't really, I don't know of any particular organization that is really looking into that. So Mm -hmm. I I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, what we learn from these, you know, investigations through the, the news outlets too, because we know a lot of times that's kind of where it starts and then we jump into it. That's that's certainly um, kind of kind of how it happened with the just the better help in general using mm-hmm. CareDash. Right. And that's, you know, also, you know, very, very useful, like good investigative journalism, but also a little problematic that it hit pop culture before it kind of hit our own research, our own um, organizations that can deal with that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, 
Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, go ahead, Stephen. Well, no, I just, if I jump, if I may, you know, yeah. when um, we used to have a program that we promoted out of Texas called DocBook, and it improved the delivery of care, especially after ACA, when we switched mm-hmm. from fee-for-service to value-based care, mm-hmm. it would, it, 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 improve the delivery care team so everyone could be on this app it was all hipaa compliant and it can communicate with one another and there's been mm-hmm. various bit, sort of versions of that after that my mm-hmm. question is is how are these better help and any of these popular cult culture type um you know fast food type apps allowed to do this and not be in hipaa compliance i don't i mean i'm not getting it well my impression is that there's a gray area because a lot of it's aggregate, like a lot of people's data being transmitted together, but without the names de-identified. So in a lot of cases, if I'm right, Derek, they couldn't identify a specific person's information. And HIPAA yeah. applies to a specific person and their therapist. Yeah, I, you know, to, to be honest, I don't, I don't know how, how BetterHelp does that and, mm-hmm. and how... And you know how they are being careful to to follow HIPAA and uh-huh. maintain those obviously um, electronic transmission of data. You know, even even here where I work in a hospital, you know, we have you know a built-in electronic medical record system, mm-hmm. and we have the secure text messaging. Um, we use Vocera mm-hmm. uh, for for that. And so, you know, with with those, it, it makes sense, I guess. But um, with, I just don't know how BetterHelp handles that. Mm-hmm. I mean, it seems like they're setting themselves up for a major lawsuit, or at least a major congressional hearing, and possible DOJ mm-hmm. indictment with this. I mean, it's doesn't sound good, especially if they're misusing uh, therapist names. I mean, at least when you know any HIPAA compliant app, they pull from the state the state licensing mm-hmm. registry. Uh-huh. I mean, what do they do? Like, I'm curious how they even, you know, how they get away with this. I mean, that's why I, mean, I know I've asked that question and no one knows, but I, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's public information because it's important that be, people be able to look us up. So somebody could look up Derek or I or any licensed professional from a psychiatrist to a manicurist mm-hmm. on this licensing registry to see if there have any been any serious complaints about them. Mm-hmm. So honestly, pretty easy to get a hold of the data. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. For that, for that, for sure. You know, mm-hmm. just like they use the MPI numbers, which are mm-hmm. public, and license numbers are public, and um, right, you know, right. all, all of all of those pieces. There's actually mm-hmm. very few. Like a DEA number is is private, but um, you know, even even that, you obviously people have gotten a hold of and had prescriptions, you know, sent for themselves. Mm-hmm. So then how do they have these subscription-based services and will include a mini doctor? They don't, they don't, I don't think they can prescribe medicine over the app. No, no, what I'm saying is, is how do they get away with using their advertising and not pay any patronage back to the therapists themselves? Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, we, we assume, of course, that there's some sort of, relationship and agreement between Caradash and BetterHelp since Caradash is funneling, you know, the their customers, as it were, to to um, BetterHelp, but we don't know the details of what that is. At least, wow. I mean, at least at least I don't know. I'm that would be another thing I'm sure that would come out in those congressional hearings that you mentioned. <laughs> right. <laughs> so Stephen Rebecca, um 
how, do, how is this hitting you? How is this, you know, changing? Maybe you're thinking about different risks. Uh, what new information is this? What did you already know? I mean, it's all, it's all new to me other than mm-hmm. what, like, I mean, I didn't know much about the issues, honestly. Mm-hmm. It's just stuff that I have been told. So it's all very new to me. Um, it definitely makes me more cautious about using them in the future. And it mm-hmm. makes me very cautious about telling people to use them in the future. Mm-hmm. And and we do have someone that has lived experience with them, but I believe she caught COVID. Yes. So we will reschedule her interview and uh, we'll mm-hmm. invite everyone back to, you know, to, to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, I think for me as the, as the su- support system, the person, the family member who's helping to care, I think it's kind of scary, you know, uh, it, it, there's all kinds of not only ethical issues, but just issues with, you know, bait and switch, you know, like, mm-hmm. I think you, I think you said that in the beginning, Amy, mm-hmm. it's like, I'm thinking I'm getting Amy D or Derek P and yet I'm getting, you know, Thomas W because, oh, you two weren't available. They're booked. Oh, I'm sorry. They're very popular on our site. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden you get someone who doesn't have the same standards, doesn't mm-hmm. have the same, doesn't guide by the same morality mm-hmm. and um, in terms of care. And, you know, and I remember when Rebecca was going through her medication and issues and the psychiatrist just said, you know, don't think about it. Mm-hmm. You know, she was having, they were trying to treat reactions to medication they weren't symptoms from a real illness and mm-hmm. literally don't think about it and it was i mean it wasn't i mean you guys heard the show i wish i would have thought of that to tell my <laughs> right. <laughs> right she told me she told me that the majority of it was in my head yeah oh yeah well of course it's in your head i mean how else would you perceive it that and, i hate and- that response that is right? basically how I felt. It's like, of course, because that's where my brain is, and it's an illness of my brain. So, yeah. like, it's not like yeah. I store it in my foot. Like, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think the you know the other piece is you know with that bait and switch is that I think that you know if I were the the patient and I and I thought that I was getting Amy and then Mm -hmm. I got, you know, John Doe, I think I would assume that they were, they were equivalent, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe even their credentials were equivalent. And we know that's not true because, uh, you know, another, you know, kind of um, another thing we've noticed is, you know, most of the, 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 um, therapists on better help are master's level counselors which is fine but if you're going and you know you're choosing a particular person like me or amy because we're a Mm -hmm. psychologist and then you get switched to someone else then you know how but how do you know i mean the the average lay person you know they don't know what the the nuances are between the different behavioral health professionals because there's so many of them and well, yeah, that's the issue of specialties. I'm yes. a specialist in a narrow area. Right. Like, right. don't ask me about relationships. I don't know any more than the average person. Yeah, <laughs> um, we, we don't know that. I mean, I'm half joking, but like, I'm a specialist in chronic mental illness. That's my thing. Mm-hmm. So right. if you're getting, even if the person on BetterHelp was a psychologist, they might be more of a generalist. Right. Yeah. That yeah. might not be as helpful in that specific area. 
you know, I've never understood the higher if there were a hierarchy or the ecosystem. Let me just say, how does a licensed social worker connect in the ecosystem with you two? Someone who is highly specialized, highly educated, and then you have like because Rebecca's first was a licensed social worker, mm -hmm. and she actually mm -hmm. cracked the, the mystery of why yeah. is Rebecca so moody and yeah. tearing uh -huh. terry cloth towels with her hands. Like, she, <laughs> yeah, I mean, she yeah, did, she cracked the code, but it doesn't mean that every licensed <laughs> Like every licensed uh, social, worker. social worker would be that good. Like, how does right. how does that jive with you two? Yeah. So, it, oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Amy. Derek. So, a licensed social worker is roughly equivalent to a licensed master's level therapist. And there's for both of them, there's two levels of licensure. When you've just basically, like, when you've just graduated and you haven't been out in the field very long, you can take the first level of licensure, but you have to be supervised. And then a couple of years later, there's another level of licensure for them where they can work more independently. Mm -hmm. But even then there's that issue of, is this licensed social worker, you know, a generalist, a specialist? Um, some social work programs focus more on kind of um, collective justice issues. Some focus mm -hmm. more on clinical stuff. There are a couple of schools in Chicago, I think the focus much more on children and adolescents. Mm. So there, so a social worker's master's level most of the time. There are some doctorates in social work. Mm -hmm. um, so you're looking at somebody with, with probably around two years of grad school and then uh, working through those levels of licenses. And mm -hmm. that's what I did for a long time as a counselor. It's basically a very similar system for master's level counselors. And in that, you can work with adolescent in a SPED program in schools? Probably. Um, not really. I mean, I couldn't, not my area, but in theory, you could. Mm -hmm. So the other thing is like, it depends on what you need because master's programs for social work or counseling in general tends to have a lot less of a science focus. Mm. Uh, unless they do a lot of independent reading themselves, they're not going to understand necessarily the biology or the medicines, which we get at least a little bit more of an education in, even if we're not going to prescribe. Sure. Yeah, I think I think the other piece, big piece to everything that Amy said is mm -hmm. that that all is highly specific on your state. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what she described the case in Illinois, even the terminology that is specific to Illinois, you know, we have, again, the two level licensure for um, counselors and for social workers, but not all states have that. And, you know, in some states, the counselors are called licensed mental health counselors or licensed mm -hmm. professional counselors, licensed clinical professional counselors. Mm -hmm. And so, the, I mean, there is a degree of equivalency. Um, social work does a little bit better in terms of having a uniform, uh, like universal name of being mm -hmm. a social worker. Um, you know, in terms of the hierarchy, you know, of course, not unexpectedly, that's a very touchy subject for, for a lot of people. Um, you know, if you, I think it depends on who you ask, um, you know, what the answer to that question is. I would say that, you know, historically, um, you know, psychiatrists, um, you know, I think they definitely see themselves at the top of the mental health hierarchy. Um, Although, you know, in my very biased opinion, I think that psychologists should be if we're not, um, because I just think that, you know, the, the thing is with psychiatrists is, you know, they could go to undergrad and, me and major in 
in acting mm -hmm. and then they could go to four years of medical school and in those eight years they could have as little as six weeks in psychiatry it's wow. it's not in, it's not until they graduate and go on to their residency which is three years mm -hmm. that they really dig into psychiatry and mental health mm -hmm. on the, on the 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 reverse take me as an example i went to undergrad i was a psych major so that was four years then i went to adler with amy and that was five years all psychology mm -hmm. then you know, we had to do um, we had to do a one year internship, and then mm -hmm. you have to do a postdoc, and then you have to get licensed, and so you know it, it comes down to, you know, we had at minimum ten years of just pure psychology mental health training, whereas on psych with psychiatrists it's more at the the uh, latter end of their training, and it is usually pretty focused on medication. O mm -hmm. Only about 10% of psychiatrists these days actually do the more like in-depth, insight-oriented therapy. Mm -hmm. uh, most of that is being done by psychologists and counselors and social workers. Mm -hmm. so, right. So, yeah, so, you know, there's, there, there, there's so many things. And I've seen so many YouTube videos of people explaining these differences and Unfortunately, most of them make the mistake of only talking about their own state. Mm -hmm. And then people, right. people see it and they're like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. But that's not going to really translate well all the time to where they are. Mm -hmm. you, know, you know, let alone let alone all 50 states, then try talking to someone from the UK or from Australia or South Africa or you know, New Zealand. It is completely different. Mm -hmm. And this and that would have been an interesting element to the show because I don't know. I mean, our show was in seventy three countries worldwide, and I'm curious as to way to to do a comparison from here uh, in the states to the United Kingdom, where they're having their own set of uh, healthcare issues, their own challenges, mm -hmm. mental health, and then other European or even you know Asian, Middle Eastern, and even African nations. I mean, it's it's all so different, and I'm curious. It'd be an interesting panel. Well. It would really be would be, you know, I mean, we've spoken to people from Africa who just say it's hard to find care. Mm -hmm. anyway. yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. You don't even want to admit, yeah. though, that you have any mental health and issues. That's why it's hard to find. Care. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Because it's still so stigmatized. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. speaking of international, though, you know, the the prescribing psychology movement is active internationally. Um, you know, we we have, you know, active efforts in Canada, in the UK, in South Africa, in Taiwan, in um, Brazil. Um, wow. Brazil? You know, lo wow. Yeah, lo lots of different places. You know, uh, none of them have the legal authority yet. You know, they're still working on that. Um, and then ad in addition here in the States, you know, at any given time, there's anywhere from six to a dozen states that have active efforts um, that are, you know, trying to pass something and they're in various stages of, you know, drafting the bill or introducing the bill or even in hearings, you know, within within the legislature, lobbying efforts, grassroots efforts, all of those things. You know, I'm interested, uh, Dr. Phillips, in terms of like countries like Brazil or emerging economies. Is it 
more, I don't know, more efficient is not the appropriate ter term, but is it better for the care system to have a licensed psychologist or is it easier to get that person in an emerging economy versus a physician? Hmm. I guess. Um, or is that just not the point? Yeah. I I, oh, no, go ahead, Amy. I was just going to say that in a lot of countries, physicians carry a lot more status and a more biological view of psychology would be maybe the way in i see not the end point but the easiest way for people to conceptualize mental health treatment if they're not familiar with it because physician is already a very very high status occupation mm -hmm. in a lot of countries yeah and i mean and along those same lines you know one of the the movements within within healthcare has been integrated behavioral health mm -hmm. and you know so going to your primary care doctor one visit actually you know if you if you're having physical complaints having those addressed but then also being able to have your mental health complaints addressed too because you know again it's cheaper you're seeing one provider one copay potentially mm -hmm. and there's less stigma you mm -hmm. say i'm going to my doctor you walk into a primary care clinic and no one even knows what you're going in for mm -hmm. versus a, a psychiatry clinic where you know people obviously know you're going in for mental health problems. So I, I think that that's part of it. Um, I, I think, you know, as far as internationally, the only really thing I can say about that is that I would probably extrapolate from how things are here in the States. And that is that generally you're going to, you're going to find more psychologists in less populated areas mm. than you're going, than you're going to find physicians. You know, there's also just the the absolute number of psychologists is just larger, um, right. you know, and, and then to go further than that, the absolute number of counselors and social workers is very much larger than psychologists. So as you kind of go along the, the road of all the providers, you know, counselor, master's level counselors and social workers, they vastly outnumber psychologists and they outnumber physicians mm -hmm. and that's just because it doesn't take as long to be trained to do that so it's a it's a more palatable option for people to do that rather than you know going to school forever um to you know be a quote-unquote doctor so i you know we've noticed that in illinois there are about five thousand psychologists in illinois and there's less than half of that number of psychiatrists wow what is fascinating. This is a fascinating topic. We could probably continue this conversation. I hope you will come back. Uh, and of course, I know, uh, Amy, you will, mm -hmm. when we get the actual person with lived experience. We're, yeah. We're, we're Beth. Beth. Yes, Beth, get well, because this is a yes. great conversation. And mm -hmm. it needs to happen um, again. Mm -hmm. and again. Um, yeah, uh, I'd love to. <laughs> Dr. Phillips, do you have anything you'd like to plug? We would love to be able to add your website, your social media location, um, and anything. anything else. And Amy, you can wrap up with closing thoughts or anything else you want to say. Um, yeah, I mean, um, I definitely want to, you know, just put in a plug for the Illinois Psychological Association, of course. Um, IllinoisPsychology.org is our website. Um, even the American Psychological Association, which is just APA.org. Um, you can follow me on social media, um, on Twitter. I'm at DRDCP87. Um, 
and you know it's it's been a pleasure to to talk with you uh i would be more than happy to come back and talk about these things again it's you know kind of my it is one of my passions you know more than just treating patients but talking about these more like policy and um advocacy related issues are you know very close to my heart and um i you know would be happy to talk about them again anytime well, I know, you know, Amy, I don't know if you know this, we love Amy dearly. We've known her for like four <laughs> seasons now. Now, um, And she she leads a, uh, a simple, uh, sort of a round table, really, is what it is. And we have to get it on the books. And I hope mm-hmm. that when Amy and I are planning it, she thinks, oh, let's see if Dr. Phillips is available. <laughs> I think, it's I think that could be arranged. Yes, yeah. she knows. She knows how to find me. Mm-hmm. Awesome. As the young people mm-hmm. say. All right, Amy. So I hope that uh, this discussion of BetterHelp and the other online services wasn't too discouraging for people. We do understand that sometimes that's the only option and we just Mm -hmm. wanted to highlight, you know, some concerns that people might want to be aware of as well as like Derek said, uh, Dr. Phillips said, some of the things that the big professional organizations in psychology are trying to do to make these services safer for people, as well as um, potentially less exploitative of different kinds of mental health professionals. So this really, this conversation, as dark as it got some of the time, is really not about eliminating these services, eliminating that option. We know it's needed. It's just about Mm -hmm. making them better and safer for people. Mm -hmm. Anything uh, else anyone wants to add? Do you want to add anything, honey? No, I have nothing. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And Amy, thank you for leading this conversation. Mm-hmm. And I know anytime you're working with me and you have to be prepared to go down rabbit holes. So oh, thank yeah. you all for <laughs> indulging uh, this conversation. It was a fabulous evening. And uh, we wish you well. Have a great weekend. And uh, let's see. We'll start with do the next the element. Quote, yeah, yeah we'll quote. do. So we started a new element, uh, Dr. D. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the it, proverb. it's our proverb. So we figured there's proverbs from all over the world from different cultures and different backgrounds. And so we've, we, we played with some music. We went from the exorcist to something else. And I think we, that fa- was only because we couldn't buy, we didn't want to buy the whole album. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. So now we have a new one. So Rebecca has a new proverb and we can all talk about, um, if hang on, don't jump off both of you, Dr. Phillips, Dr. Mm-hmm. Ray. Sure. And we'll talk, we'll talk about the uh, the proverb and maybe what it means to you. Okay, so today, no, my phone just closed. Hang on a second. Oh my goodness! Today's proverb of the week actually is an Egyptian proverb, mm. and it says, "A beautiful thing is never perfect." Mm. And I like that because we tend to think of ourselves as broken. We're not broken, but we're not perfect either. Ooh. And yet we still are beautiful. So I mm-hmm. like that one. That's a beautiful proverb. Anybody, either of you two have any feedback on that proverb? I just, I like it because it kind of um, dismantles that false dichotomy of you're either mm-hmm. perfect or you're terrible. And, yes. we, and we, we know that, you know, being imperfect is, of course, what we have to live with because none of us is perfect. We're never going to reach you know, that goal and do we even really want to? And what what would perfect really truly look like? Would it even be 
something that we would, you know, that humans would want to live with, even if it were attainable or, you know, if we were able to see someone else maintain that. But I think it's really important that we all be, that all of us are able to live, you know, accepting things that seem like they're irreconcilable, but mm -hmm. they actually can both be true at the same time and that's okay. Wow, that's thank you. That's very good. I, wow, such wisdom. Watch <laughs> out, both of you guys are going to be on this show on a regular basis. Yeah, yes, awesome. that would be amazing. Dr. D, do <laughs> you have any feedback? Just the idea of what you can feel warmth and intimacy with. Like, I can find a statue beautiful, I'm not feeling close to it at all. That might be different for somebody with a lot more expertise in art than me, but you know, I'm looking at a Michelangelo, I see a lot to admire, I see a lot of beauty. I feel no desire to like take it home or something like that. Um, there's not a closeness there, even while there's a lot of respect and appreciation. So that idea of um, something beautiful having to be imperfect is like, that's how you can get close to people. That's how you can feel some warmth with them. That's or like great. art that people feel much warmer towards. That's true. That's kind of like inviting a certain friend from Illinois and Chicago to come down to DC to the Tiki Crew <laughs> and her turning us down. No, I'm kidding. We no, I'm do kidding. need to get together soon. And I DC know, would be I a know. lovely place to do it. I know. We have to coordinate that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't have said anything more profound than that either um, of you. No, you have to say something. You made us say something. I, I really... <laughs> You know, I think you're right. I think it's, you know, I like to piggyback off of what Dr. D uh, said. You know, it's nice to discover what that intimacy is and that journey, because the journey of intimacy changes with the moons, with the every year, every day, and also depends on circumstance. So the one thing is, is to find that deep authenticity. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, and I, teach a, I teach a class about authenticity, originality, and stick-to-itiveness. And I think when you apply that to your personal life, I think you begin to find true intimacy. Intimacy. True intimacy is not performative and superficial. Mm -hmm. And I think the best way to kind of explore that is to just get deep within yourself and deep mm -hmm. within your community or partner and, um, and, and, and constantly grow and explore together. And I think that pro proverb uh, sort of really kind of lends itself uh, to that feeling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Love it. Nice choice of proverb. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, you two, thank you very much um, again for leading a fabulous conversation. And I think, you know, we are going to post this all over social media. And I hope you both share it with all of your colleagues and friends all over the world. And, of course. Uh, enjoy. Of course, as you know, we do this as a public service uh, just to create community and to uh, tell stories over stigma. And I hope today this removed one more notch in that stigma wheel that the world keeps um creating would you say oh, okay um oh so the song of the week we do have a song of the week rebecca do you want to set it up and tee it up um the song of the week is called runaway to mars and it is by talk All thank right. you guys for coming thank you guys for Thanks. coming have a good week thank you, Bye you. Good night. Dr. Phillip. thank you good night Colors fading Cause I kept you waiting It's a wild, wild world And you're a wild, wild girl I 
My sun's still shining But it seems half the size And it's a wild, wild world out here Before my time runs out What if I Stones and wonder how long till I'm discovered. It's a quiet life up here. Before my time runs out, what if I? If I run out of oxygen, we're not.